0: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the
2: app and sell your car from your comfy place. Deborah's home was stolen. Now, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need Home Title Lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need home title lock because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HometitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HometitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's home HometitleLock.com. HometitleLock.com.
3: this is the tom hartman program you know there are times when i think that the only two people in the media i said this a couple of days ago i'll say it again the only two people in the media who are taking seriously what donald trump is up to are me and bill maher talking about how it appears increasingly that we're not just like heading in the direction of fascism or tin potism or the end of democracy or whatever phrase you want to use to describe it but we're there. I mean, Donald Trump has officially ended one of the most important parts of the American experiment by demanding that an independent Department of Justice go easy on one of his buddies, specifically Roger Stone, one of the guys who's got the goods on him. Roger Stone could testify about things that would put Donald Trump in jail, probably going all the way back to the 1980s when they first became good buddies. Back in 1780, John Adams, keep in mind this is nine years before the United States was created as the country we know it. This is back right after the Revolutionary War when we were operating under the Articles of Confederation. John Adams, who ultimately became our second president, and Samuel Adams, whose bar in Massachusetts, and they're not related to each other by the way, whose bar in Massachusetts was like the epicenter for the Boston Tea Party and for the organizing in the wake of the Boston Massacre and, all the, and the shot heard around the world, all this stuff major revolutionaries these two guys helped draft the constitution for the commonwealth of massachusetts and that constitution says and i quote in the government of this commonwealth the executive in other words the governor in this case but if you were to apply this the federal government would be the president the executive shall never exercise the legislative or judicial powers In other words, the president or the governor cannot make laws, cannot pass laws, cannot rule in judgment of other people, and cannot insert himself into the punishment of people who have been adjudicated guilty to the end that it may be a government of laws and not of men. In other words, our goal here in creating the Commonwealth of Massachusetts is to create a government of laws, not men. And now that I've kind of broken that up with explanations, let me just read it real quick. In the government of this commonwealth, the executive shall never exercise the legislative or judicial powers to the end that it may be a government of laws and not of men. By taking the judicial powers of convicting and sentencing, Donald Trump has turned our system of laws, not men, on its head. I mean, this is the sort of thing you'd expect to see in Erdogan's Turkey, in al-Sisi's Egypt, in Bolsonaro's Brazil, in Putin's Russia, in Duterte's the Philippines, in Xi's China, in Kim Jong-un's North Korea, for God's sake. Literally, I defy you to give me one example of any advanced democracy in the world where the Prime Minister has come out and second-guessed the courts and directed the courts, or the prosecutorial system associated with the courts, their equivalent of the Department of Justice, the prosecutors, to change what they're doing because it affects a friend of his. We are supposed to be a government of laws, not men. I don't know how unambiguous that can be. If nothing else, I think this is a breathtaking indictment of our education system since Ronald Reagan took a meat axe to our public schools back in the 1980s and ended mandatory civics lessons. A lot of people who went through public schools since the 1980s aren't even familiar with that phrase, a government of law is not men." I learned that in third or fourth grade back when we were memorizing the preamble of the Constitution and parts of the Declaration of Independence and Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. I mean, eight, nine, ten years old. But of course, that was a long time ago. Bill Barr and Donald Trump have now committed a complete repudiation of the most important of the values and structures that actually made this country a democratic republic. And I don't know how we can continue to call ourselves a constitutionally limited representative democratic republic when, in a republic, I mean, the whole functional definition of a republic is that the rule of law is paramount and that institutions that enforce the rule of law are independent of politics. Four brave federal prosecutors stood up to this and resigned, but if there's not an overwhelming and systematic response to this, to Trump's subversion of the American criminal justice system, our republic is is at an end. November could be too late. I mean, here you've got Trump, he tweeted this morning. Congratulations to Attorney General Bill Barr for taking charge of a case that was totally out of control and perhaps should not even have been brought. Evidence now clearly shows that the Mueller scam was improperly brought and tainted. Even Bob Mueller lied to Congress. That's Donald Trump. Congratulations to Bill Barr. This is the political president inserting himself into the Department of Justice, and he's basically admitting, confirming for all of us, that Bill Barr personally intervened in this Roger Stone case. You know, the DOJ has been saying, oh, no, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't improper political influence. It wasn't Barr. It wasn't Trump. We just decided to do it. After we said uh, Roger Stone should get seven to nine years, we thought about it overnight. Well, it turns out that four of the prosecutors, this is uh, Aaron Zelensky, Adam Jed, Jonathan Kravis, and Michael Mirando, four American heroes, learned that their recommended seven to nine years was being overturned in this case, in Roger Stone's criminal case. They learned about this by watching Fox News. No, the DOJ never told them. No, it wasn't their decision. They learned about it by watching Fox News. Trump had tweeted the night before this is a horrible and very unfair situation. The real crimes were on the other side as nothing happens to them, cannot allow this miscarriage of justice. And then yesterday, the reporter said, well, you know, did you blow this up? He says, I've not been involved at all. That would be a horrible aberration. These are, I guess, the same Mueller people that put everybody through hell and I think it was a disgrace. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. And then last night on Twitter, He says, the prosecutors cut and ran after being exposed for recommending a ridiculous nine-year prison sentence to a man that got caught up in an investigation that was illegal, the Mueller scam. One of these four prosecutors has resigned entirely, presumably going to go into private practice. The other three have said, take us off this case. We cannot stay on this case in good conscience in classic Democratic style, Chuck Schumer, instead of going, you know, on TV and going, this is treason, which of course is what uh, Doug Collins or or Jim Jordan would be doing, uh, came out and very politely held a news conference saying, this situation has all the indicia of improper political interference in a criminal prosecution. Right, that's going to really crank up the folks. David Loffman, who is a former Justice Department official, was a little more explicit. He said, this is shocking, a crammed down political intervention. We are now truly at a break glass in case of fire moment at the Justice Department. Amen. We are. And then on top of that, Trump fires Vindman, which is against the law, by the way, punishing people who tell the truth, punishing whistleblowers is against the law. Vindman followed the law. He was given a lawful congressional subpoena and he showed up and testified. Trump firing him is against the law, firing his brother for being related to him, massively against the law. But you probably haven't heard about Elaine McCusker. Elaine McCusker worked for the Department of Defense she was up for a, uh, some, uh, you know, a significant promotion. She was gonna be the comptroller and chief financial officer for the entire Pentagon. So she was like the chief official in handling Pentagon money, or one of them. And this order from Mick Mulvaney, who is not only Trump's chief of staff, but also the head of the Office of Management and Budget, which administers funds appropriated by Congress for things like Ukraine weapons, Mick Mulvaney said, don't pass that money on to Ukraine. Now, the Pentagon is the agency that's supposed to actually pass the money out in the form of weapons, in this case. And she's at the Pentagon, and so she contacts OMB in email and says, what's going on here? And she said, in fact, I quote, we need to continue to give the White House as much decision space as possible, but I'm concerned that we have not officially documented the fact that we cannot promise full execution That is, you know, we can't deliver the weapons now because of what Mick Mulvaney just said at this point. In other words, she did the right thing. She cited the law. She said, I'm concerned about this. Can you please explain this? And OMB just basically BS'd her. Mick Mulvaney, you know, let's just dance around this. Let's pretend it's not going on. And now, you know, the emails are out there. You can see this. This woman followed the law. Trump has pulled her nomination. She's losing her job in fact because she followed the law. Now, she's not a high profile person. She hasn't testified in front of anybody. So you probably haven't heard her name, but this is just another example of a lawless administration that this I mean this goes way beyond just being lawless. This is like pouring corrosive acid on the structure of our republic. Ben Franklin said it's a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. We are not keeping it right now. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com
4: for audio and video archives.
3: You are listening to the program where despair is not an option. Join us. Get out there. Get active. Janet in Thompson, Illinois. Hey, Janet, thanks for watching us on Facebook Live. What's up?
0: What I want to please bring up is we've only got this week, come Friday, to uh, nominate the John F. Kennedy Profiling Courage Award. And I'm hoping that your listeners will go on that website and nominate Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, mm. uh, the gentleman that uh, Trump fired, right. and this honorable serviceman did everything he could to protect our country, and it's just shameful that he would fire such a, you know, fine
3: gentleman. You're absolutely right. This tells you pretty much everything you need to know about Donald Trump is that, and thank you, Janet, for that, is that he gives a pardon to a convicted war criminal who posed with dead children that he had killed. And he punishes not just Colonel Vindman, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, who all he did was Complied with a legal subpoena from Congress. He followed the law. But he fires his brother as well. This is like something biblical, you know. We're gonna we're gonna burn the crops and salt the fields. It's insane. Dick in Dayton, Ohio. Hey Dick, you're our Republican caller, aren't you, as I recall?
4: Hey, I was telling your screener, I listened to the president's speech. A State I, I, of the I Union thought, address you're talking about? Yeah, yeah the State of the Union. I, I was pretty happy. The only thing that I didn't understand, though, was isn't it really bad to tear a piece of paper up in front of the American public like Nancy Pelosi did?
3: Yeah, it really is. It's almost as bad as sexually assaulting 20 women. It's almost as bad as lying 16,000 times. It's yeah. almost as bad as conspiring with two different foreign governments to try to get yourself reelected. It's almost as bad. Yeah. Come on, yeah. Dick. And I'm,
4: I'm wondering, you know, this. <laughs> I've been following a little bit of this party. You know, the, the, uh, the, the what is it, the primaries? Mm-hmm. Do you think that Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders have a chance? I mean, suppose Joe Biden goes... You know, uh, if, he, if he's going to, you know, go with, uh, what is it, run against President Trump, do you think him and Sanders have a chance in, the, in America?
3: I think that a dead cat. Bill the cat's hairballs have a chance against Donald Trump. Donald Trump has never hit 50% in the approval polls. I don't think that that's been the case with any president in my lifetime going into an election. So yeah, I think any Democrat. In fact, we just saw the Monmouth University poll just came out. Bernie Sanders most easily beats Trump. The billionaire Bloomberg is number two at easily beating Trump. listening to the Tom Hartman program. But everybody, all the way down to Amy Klobuchar, Andrew Yang beats Donald Trump. Everybody beats Donald Trump.
5: Michael in Stockholm, Sweden. Hey, Michael. What's up? I was uh, thinking here that your president has put himself in a vulnerable position, as many leaders have done, and the only way to, to survive is to stay in power. I don't think that your president is a person that is capable of cutting his losses early, uh, and I think he would rather you know, take everybody down with him uh, rather than simply stop. And as, as you have said, Professor, when Trump realizes he will not win the election and that he will probably spend the rest of his life in court, knowing uh, how this man thinks that uh, he will start a war and declare a state of emergency and postpone the elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking here, if he could postpone the elections for years and years, and I suppose the election for the Senate will also be postponed, right? Federal elections. Uh, so then it's the same Republicans that he, he has control over to avoid impeachment, and uh, he will probably continue to substitute high-ranking military officers. And that uh, brings me to, to, to John Belen uh, if Trump thinks he will lose, and if nobody, you and, and others, uh, believe that that it's probably a big probability that he will never let go power, then one could argue maybe a bit... Stupidly, from my side, that the Democrats should not focus on who has the best chance to beat Trump, but rather send someone like John Delaney, who I think was the only one who was losing against Trump in the average polls and just hope that he turned it around on election day rather than have no election at all and have this man be president for life mm. and bring yeah. down the entire free I- world
3: yeah i i understand what you're saying michael i i think though that the wild card in this race is not going to be you know the democrats trying to trying to throw a double jujitsu move at at donald trump i think it's going to be michael bloomberg and i don't know how this is going to play out but we've got a guy who's worth 60 or 80 billion dollars just the money that he has sitting around is generating two billion dollars a year in interest you know he i mean he could spend two billion dollars on a campaign and literally not notice it. His net worth would not go down a penny. And because of the 1976 uh, Buckley versus Vallejo Supreme Court decision, in that Supreme Court decision, they said that if you are financing your own campaign, in other words, this was a a pure oligarch move. If you are financing your own campaign, you don't have to pay attention to any of the campaign finance laws um, because it's your own money. And that's free speech. And so uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I was fascinated last night. I don't know if you could catch MSNBC from, from Sweden, but Joyanne Reid last night, who I have a lot of respect for and does a great program on the weekends on MSNBC, was talking about how she's talking to friends of hers in the African-American community who are saying, Joe Biden's going down. Our choice number two is michael bloomberg and it's and it's not because he was a great guy uh you know a stop and frisk he he of course has walked that back since then but it's because he has the best chance of beating trump because he's a fellow billionaire and he's willing to spend his own money and he's willing to spend whatever it takes etc 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 and he probably would pick somebody like maybe Amy klobuchar you know a so-called moderate democrat who has some visibility and is either a woman or a minority as his running mate I mean, we won't know for about four weeks, I guess, until after Super Tuesday and a few other major primary elections. But he's going to show up in those elections. He didn't show up in Iowa or New Hampshire. He wasn't even on the ballot. So, anyhow, that's what I think is going to happen in terms of. Uh,
5: Yeah. I understand, but I I, I think I wasn't maybe clear enough. Uh, What I meant was that Trump would probably postpone the election if he sees that he's losing in the polls. And he is losing against, like, uh, Mayor Bloomberg. No, I I got your point, Uh, that that he
3: he would not postpone the election if he thought he was going up against a guy who he could certainly beat. But here's the problem. If you put in somebody like, you know, John Delaney, who Trump definitely would beat, uh, he was on this program. It was pathetic. And he, I mean, not to say he's pathetic, but as a candidate <laughs> for president of the United States, you know, it was, a, it was Casper Milktoast. And if we put up a candidate like that, Trump then wins the election. And then he says, I, Claudius, now I've won the election. I mean, look at what happened in 19, what was it, 35, when Hitler won his first real election? That was the end of the Weimar Republic. I mean, that, that, was, that was when everything changed. Once he has won re-election, I believe that Donald Trump is gonna go full, pick an example, right, uh, Erdogan, declare martial law, lock down the government, start imprisoning his enemies, controlling the internet, controlling the media, imprisoning journalists and reporters who, who, like myself, who have spoken out against him, I think all of that is actually possible. Now, I realize people will say that I'm an alarmist for saying that. And as I said earlier, I think Bill Maher and I are the only two people in the American media who are talking like this. But I'm guessing that more and more are going to start. And Michael, your country confronted this in the 1930s. It's a truly concerning
4: situation.
5: I hope that doesn't happen, but if it happens, then you and the Luisa are really welcome to Sweden. <laughs> well, thank you, Michael. <laughs> I think you will, you will find great peace. Everywhere. I've been there
3: many times. It's a wonderful, wonderful country, and I particularly love Stockholm, which is where you live. So thank you for the call, and thanks again for watching us on YouTube. Chris in Sonoma, California. Hey, Chris, thanks for listening to
1: AM910. What's up? Very patient after three years, hoping justice would prevail. Mm. But you've got—I mean, when you talked about Schumer coming out and sort of— just finger painting this, this is the biggest challenge, the destruction of our democratic republic. And My I used point. to think it was in its infancy stage, but it's past the toddler phase now. Yes. And if we don't have recourse other than some kind of, and I'm a patient guy, other than extreme measures, what is going to happen to stop this guy before he destroys the country? I mean, we have, you You're talked about rights, there's callers that talk about healthcare rights and voter rights and all these things. They are going to be a moot point if this continues. Where is the opposition to it, and how do these enablers in the Republican Senate? That was the last check. That was the significant check that could have stopped them. You are not an alarmist.
3: Thank you. Go back and look at the history of Mussolini's Italy in the late 1920s, early 30s. Go back and look at the history of Franco's Spain. For that matter, in the modern era, look at Duterte's takeover of the Philippines, and now he's flirting with the Chinese and, and talking about not renewing the United States, being an ally, essentially a military ally. Look at what happened in Egypt with el-Sisi, and you know, once he was challenged, he declared a crackdown, as did Erdogan in Turkey. This is huge. This is breathtaking. There are not enough superlative adjectives to describe what is going on right now. And Chris, thank you. Thank you for validating my, um, my concern. Thank you very much. Mike in Brooklyn, New York. Hey, Mike, what's up?
4: All right. I'm following these other guys that are saying the same thing. What I'm saying is, what check do we have against this uh, constitution that we cannot defend it because we have no army? to defend the Constitution if the president goes against us.
3: Well, our last hope, frankly, because I I don't believe that the Democrats in the House of Representatives are going to re-impeach Donald Trump, and I'm not seeing the kinds of aggressive investigations coming out of them that we saw coming out of Republicans when they thought that Hillary Clinton had committed the crime of the century by having a private email server, just like George W. Bush had, just like Alberto Gonzalez had, just like Dick Cheney had. But in any case, I'm not seeing this and it concerns me tremendously. And I think that an invigorated, outspoken, activated populace is really the only thing we have right now. And you know, our last hope is going to be in eight, nine months down the road when, when it comes time to the election in November. And we it, have to guys
6: order. Anything he says, we've got to define it and stay in the homeland.
3: They need to absolutely be going after him in Congress today. So it could be Valentine's Day, it could be a first date. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes. You glance in the mirror and you notice your wrinkles and those large under-eye bags. You rummage through your purse thinking, where's my secret weapon? And da-da-da, there it is, Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes, and boom, two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing right in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day you give yourself. Go to TriPlexiderm.com and enter Voices for 50% off, plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter Voices at TriPlexiderm.com to get half off, 50% off, plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code Voices. Plexiderm is backed by a a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you get my special discount. Enter Voices at TriPlexiderm.com. For our book club today, we're reading from Thomas Frank's book, Rendezvous with Oblivion, Reports from a Sinking Society. This is Chapter 1, titled Servile Disobedience. Social scientists have tried for more than a century to understand how class works. Psychological experiments on the subject, however, are a relatively novel thing. So I was surprised to discover a few years ago the psychologist had published a series of papers on the behavioral aspects of social status and that their findings were almost uniformly unflattering towards society's winners. In one 2009 study in psychological science found that in conversations with strangers, high-status people tend to do more doodling and fidgeting, and also to use fewer engagement cues, looking at the other person, laughing, nodding their heads. A 2010 paper published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology found that lower-class individuals in, quote, turned out to be better performers on measures of such pro-social virtues as generosity, charity, and helpfulness. A third study found that those of higher status were noticeably worse at assessing the emotions of others or figuring out what facial expressions mean. All of which is to say the rich are different from you and me. They are more rude and less generous. They don't understand, they don't get what others are thinking, and apparently they don't really care. Perhaps this is obvious to you. After all, well, people don't design toxic debt obligations by calling on what they learned in Sunday school. Still, the research aroused in media interest. The Christian Science Monitor's 2010 account of one study ended with this question quotation from Michael Krauss, then the University of California, San Francisco, who is one of the researchers. Quote, being empathic is one of the first steps to helping other people. One of the first things we're really interested in is what can make wealthy people, affluent people, the people with the capacity to give, what can make them empathic? I think I see the urgency of Dr. Krause's question. After all, we have spent the past several decades doing everything we could to transfer the wealth of the nation into the bank accounts of the affluent to send them victorious, happy, and glorious long to reign over us. Oh, we've cut their taxes, gladly transferring much of the cost of keeping their property safe onto our own shoulders. We furnished them with special megaphones so that their voices could be heard over the hubbub of the crowd. We've conferred upon them separate and better schools, their very own transportation system, and a full complement of private security guards. We've built an entire culture of courtiers and syncopants to make their every working hour an otherworldly delight. We let them construct a system of bonuses and executive compensation on the theory that it would be good for everyone if the people at the top got to take home much, much more than the rest of us. And when it turned out that the theory was wrong, that in the most famous cases, executives chased bonuses not to the shareholders' benefit, but at their expense, why, we promptly bailed them out. We allowed them to step into the Fed's discount window and fill their pockets. We generously transferred their reckless investments to our balance sheet, and we chastised them a little more than a polite, with little more than a polite request that they please not do it again. We've done everything we can to lift them up and exalt them as the new Leviathan. The least they can do in return, one feels, is to show a little empathy. Besides, look what we've done with the old Leviathan, the government. For decades, we've attacked it, redirected it, outsourced it, and filled it with incompetence and cronies. Yes, it still works well enough when we need to blow up some small country. But those branches of it designed to help our Americans of lower socioeconomic status, in quotes, as the scientists would put it, are now bare. We need the rich to be nice, stop doodling, and and to pay attention and get generous. Now that the government has divested from the empathy business, we need the rich to discover brotherly love and fast. Come to think of it, wasn't that supposed to be the deal in the first place? The arrangement Andrew Carnegie brokered over a century ago when he made his big career move from steel king to public library baron. The laissez-faire social contract would grant uh, private business a free hand. But in exchange, those who piled up massive wealth were supposed to extend a magnanimous hand to the rest of us. As Carnegie wrote in his famous 1899, uh, 1889 essay, The Gospel of Wealth, we don't need socialism to solve our problems. Philanthropy is the true antidote for the temporary inequality distribution of wealth and reconciliation of the rich and poor, quoting Carnegie. Going further, Carnegie argued that the duty of the man of wealth was... To consider all surplus revenues which come to him simply as trust funds, which he's called upon to administer in the manner which, in his judgment, is best calculated to produce the most beneficial results for the community. The man of wealth thus becoming the mere trustee and agent for his poorer brethren. That same way of thinking led Carnegie to support the estate tax. Of all forms of taxation, this this seems the wisest, he wrote. It, is, it was wise because it would, quote, induce the rich man to attend to the administration of wealth during his life. And if he didn't, then the tax would return most of his hoardings to the community from which it came, using Carnegie's words. Vestiges of the Carnegie attitude survive to this day. 2009 study of high net worth individuals by Barclay's Wealth confirmed that American philanthropists tend to understand their giving in a context in which the state is either absent or irrelevant. And of course, there are plenty of nice plutocrats who don't fidget or doodle when talking to strangers and who have no problem endowing a ward or a wing in return for a commemorative plaque. The business headlines even occasionally tell of billionaires coming together under the leadership of Warren Buffett and Bill Gates to donate their fortunes to worthy causes. But the billionaires with the strongest sense of class solidarity have a very different plan for their disposable income. Activating their lobbyists in Washington, building grassroots movements to march on their behalf, and using their media properties to run experiments on human credulity. Rendezvous with Oblivion reports from a sinking society. Cliff in Santa Clarita. Hey, Cliff, what's up?
4: I didn't know America was so gullible and racist. I mean, it's a pretty tough pill to swallow. We are There's both. This many people. Yeah. I wasn't aware of the extent. But it's a tough pill to swallow. Well, anyway, it's sort of
3: the good news, Cliff, is that Americans are looking around, well, they're looking at Donald Trump and they're looking at his, his MAGA followers and they're going, holy cow, really? This is us? In a way, yeah, but, it's you know, hopefully it's a good wake-up, although I'm sure that there were people in 1935 in Germany who were saying the same thing.
4: Yeah, anyway. I mean, it's just the amount of people supporting him. I know there's a lo- whole lot more Americans that aren't, yeah. but just the numbers that are, it's disturbing. Anyway, I've, I've been a Bernie supporter since I started tuning into the Tom Hartman program many, many years ago, I never missed brunch with Bernie. I even called in and spoke to him a couple of times on your show. Mm-hmm. But what I'm watching on the corporate news, mainly MSNBC lately, it's pretty disturbing, but not unexpected. MSNBC, I mean, it seems to me,
3: has been doing everything they can for weeks now to kneecap Bernie Sanders.
4: Yeah, but it's like it's not unexpected, because as you point out to us fairly often, msnbc is owned by comcast so why would we really be surprised well by it's not attack? just that also
3: every single person you see on there who is a regular personality is a multimillionaire. they don't Donny, want their taxes the to go D-O-H's up to the world yeah i'm but, talking but, but, about even the talent on the air i mean you know salaries started around a million bucks
4: oh yeah yeah the the, the leads yeah the, i understand but see keeping their corporate grip on our politics is good for their bottom line yep And Bernie wants to raise corporate taxes, which would cost the media corporations like MSNBC lots of money. So nothing's more important to the corporations than money. We can trace everything back to money. So the attacks on Bernie will continue from corporate America.
3: Yeah. I mean, remember Les Moonves on that investor call when he said, uh, Donald Trump, he may be terrible for the country, but he sure is good for CBS. Keep it up, Donald. Yeah, I'm with you, Cliff. And it's an abomination. George in Garden City, Kansas. Hey, George, what's on
4: your mind today? I'm all for Bernie. I, I like his Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security programs. But I slipped into the channels after that last debate last week, hit on MSNBC, there was Chris Matthews comparing Bernie to Fidel Castro. I know, and Chuck That's Todd just, is talking I'm about crazy. Bernie followers, as brown shirts. I mean, give me a friggin' oh, break. Really? And your previous caller said all that, and, and I agree with you and him totally so you just keep on doing what you're doing because you're right okay you have a good day okay thanks a lot george jeff in mountain
3: air new mexico what a nice name for a town what's up jeff
1: hi first of all i would like to say i really appreciate your show and thank you for all the efforts on the part of the american people you're welcome thank you i would like to know if it would be possible for elderly people who are deeply in debt and approaching the ends of their lives to make Donald J. Trump the beneficiary of their wills, thus forcing him to subsume their debts, (laughs) this would hit Trump where he lives.
3: Wouldn't it be nice if you could pull that off, Jeff? You know, I get what you're saying. And I'm absolutely astonished when I talk to friends of mine who are my age, who are you know, in their 60s or older, who are tens of thousands. And in one case, a couple of friends of ours are over $100,000 in debt because they co-signed their kids' student loans. It's just yes. breathtaking to me. But there's no way you can dump that on Donald Trump, sadly. What we need to do is dump Donald Trump out of office. Yes. So,
1: okay, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah,
3: thanks a lot for the call. It's good to hear from you, Jonathan, in Portland, Oregon.
1: You need to have James Carville on your show to explain himself. He has been on MSNBC several times. Yeah, he's Ryan pushing Williams. for
3: Michael Bennett right now. He, you, okay, know, you know, he's he's not going to come on this show. I guarantee you, he will not go in a venue where he's being challenged. Oh, okay.
1: I mean, I was just dumbfounded, and I'm listening to his arguments and saying that the Democrats aren't talking about anything that people care about, which was just my head went. <laughs> so, well, what can he, you explain what he's doing?
3: He he's a he's a hired gun. I mean, you know, he's he's being paid to promote the Michael Bennett candidacy, and God bless him, everybody's got to make a living, but. You know, and James Carville's politics are not my politics i I don't know how to say it beyond that. I mean I, I've actually you know I've met him. he and I both gave a, a speech at a at you know one after the other at a at a conference a lawyer's conference out in Vegas back five six seven years ago. He seems like a decent guy, nice to having lunch with him but and he's not here to defend himself. I don't want to particularly pick on him, but I get what you're saying. I, my larger concern is the whole raft of let me rephrase that, is that on MSNBC, which has positioned itself as the go-to network for progressives, and which many progressives in America watch thinking that they're getting progressive news and information, there are actually very few progressives on the air. Kareem John Pierre, I think is how her name is pronounced, she's absolutely brilliant. Jason Johns, brilliant. There's a couple of progressives on that network who are really good. Ann Reed is really good. Rachel Maddow is really good. But by and large, what you're going to get are, you know, what I call corporate Democrats. And you're not going to get a a whole and balanced view of it. question in my mind, Jonathan, is if Bernie actually gets the nomination, what are these people going to do? And we'll see. Jonathan, thanks for the call. And Robin in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Robin, what's on your mind today?
4: I maintain that Buttigieg is a Manchurian candidate. I've said that before. So my cute little thing is, let's call him who he is, Chia Pete. You just get a hard- Oh, uh, Robin, new- I'm,
3: I'm going to stop this right now. I just, you know, I'm. I, now is not the time for the Circular Firing Squad. I, you know, I have some differences with Pete Buttigieg. He's out talking now about how we've got to balance our budgets. Yeah, it's not a bad idea, but it's nothing to build a campaign around. You know, but... If he's the nominee for president, I'm gonna do everything I can to get him elected. And the same is true of every single person in this race, including the billionaire who's not in the race. I'd even campaign for Mike Bloomberg. Anybody but Trump, we are facing the possibility of the end of this experiment, the American Democratic Republic. If Donald Trump is reelected, he's gonna go full dictator on us. And for us to sit around and go, well, this guy isn't good enough, or that one's not perfect enough, or I'm not gonna... No. It's not going to happen on this show. Tom Arvin here with you. And Mary in Evanston, Illinois. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today?
6: I am very upset about the fact that the president opens his mouth and Barr says, how high should I jump? And now Stone is going to go free with no jail time, and that four attorneys have quit, and how long, if this man wins again, if it even takes this long, he will be going after everybody and anybody who has spoken out against him, including people like me, and you are done.
3: Yeah, I agree. He's going to go after people in the media and start putting people in jail, just like Erdogan does, just like Duterte does, just like, I mean, you know, journalists are being assassinated in these countries.
6: And we have two now who have to have around the clock protection because of his minions threatening them. Yeah. And
3: It's actually more um, than two.
6: Oh, I only know two, thank God. But uh, you you know, it's, there is no <clears throat> there there I called all my I I live in Illinois. I as you know, I called my senators and my congressmen and I said look you you need to get on every media possible you have to stop you need to do something you just can't sit there and be polite
3: right right i agree i absolutely agree mary i don't know how to say it with any greater urgency i've i've shouted it i've i've <laughs> complained about it i've i've talked about it i you know and i've been talking about it for some, you know actually for for years in a little more abstract context, but now that we are literally watching this happen right in front of us, and it, it is criminal. It is absolutely criminal. So, yeah, I'm, is, I'm with you.
6: I believed that we were stronger than that until this bar
3: thing just yeah. happened. Mary, you with, said you you, with, you would lose your job as a result of Trump, What, if you don't mind my asking. Oh, I mean, he's going to go after me. He's going to go after because, me. Because... Oh, just of your... because
6: I speak up against him. I oh. speak up against him. I call him. I send him emails. Oh, yeah, I'm not quiet.
3: Yeah. And, you know, and your Facebook page will become the locus of, of uh, you know. It's, That's right. They, they're, they're putting, I guarantee you, they're putting together an enemies list. And this is, you know, IBM oh, yeah. helped Hitler do this, you know, compile lists of the Jews. And everybody thought, oh, it's not going to be a big deal. Boy, was it a big deal. Mary, thank you for the call. Kathy in Marlboro, New Jersey. Kathy, what's on your mind?
7: Yes, good morning. I mean, good afternoon, Professor. How are you? I am well. How are you, Kathy? Yes, I just, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm trying not to make this long. Um, I was listening to Rachel Meadows, I think it was last um, Thursday or Friday, and she was doing the same exact thing that you're saying today. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, because I listen to you all the time, that you had talked about this few times several weeks ago, of talking mm-hmm. about how this country is turning into a Russia. And, you know, the DOJ with Barr, that's under Trump's control. And all the other departments that are under DOJ, the FBI, ICE, NSA, DEA, you know all the agencies that are under them. But she was especially talking about the NSA on this report last week. And she was saying, and I think you had mentioned this a while ago, that the NSA send reports to Congress.
3: Mm-hmm. And about both the NSA and the CIA, on. they have stopped doing it. And they're refusing to testify to Congress. They were supposed to testify, I believe it was either last week or this week. Exactly. They just said, no, we're not going to come. Sorry. And And then you had the spectacle of, what's her name, Gina Haspel, the director of the CIA, who was the director of the torture operation who covered up the torture, by the way. Her reward for that was being made head of the CIA. Her standing up and applauding at the State of the Union when traditionally the law enforcement agencies are supposed to sit quietly, just like the members of the Supreme Court, and say we're above politics.
7: Yeah, at at the end of her report, she was saying, you know, because... You know, Congress is going back and forth with the NSA about the reports and this and that. Right. And the last thing that the NSA had um information that she was getting was that they would send a report after the elections. What is that all about?
3: Yeah. Well that's that is
7: absolutely crazy.
3: That's a, it's called well, a stall.
7: We know why it's happening, but
3: Yeah, it's a stall. It's a stall, and, and, yeah. and probably it means that the report would not reflect well on Donald Trump, and so therefore uh, we'll wait until after the elections. Um, right. it, it, we, we are confronting a crisis that, I mean, you look back at the history of this country, the Civil War was a terrible crisis. People didn't know if the republic would survive. I think we are confronting a crisis right now. While there's not as much bloodshed at the moment, uh, nothing even close um we've got white supremacists out there the the fbi now saying that white supremacists represent the same threat that isis does to americans
7: exactly i heard that
3: report yeah Yeah. and uh i mean we've got serious serious a serious crisis here and this administration is sitting around oh they're very fine people and no we're not going to do anything about it no we're not going to and, and they're refusing to give the fbi they're refusing to declare international terrorist groups, white supremacist terrorist groups, you know, groups affiliated with, you know, Anders Breivik, the murderer in Norway, or the guy down in Christchurch, New Zealand. I'm forgetting his name, um, Stephen somebody or other, who shot up all those people. These guys are part of an international ring, and the government, our administration, the Trump administration, will not give the FBI the tools to even track them. It's insane. Kathy, thank you for the call. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Homewreckers by Aaron Glantz, a Pulitzer Prize finalist. The uh, subtitle is How a Gang of Wall Street Kingpins, Hedge Fund Magnates, Crooked Banks, and Venture Capitalists Suckered Millions Out of Their Homes and Demolished the American Dream. It's quite a subtitle. This is from Chapter 21, titled Triumph of the Homewreckers. Donald Trump took the oath of office on a chilly Friday morning delivering an inaugural address that promised an end to the corruption and impotence that had widened America's historic wealth gap. He understood that his victory had been propelled by harnessing the public's rage and envy at having been left behind in the economic recovery, and he promised that he would not forget it. Evoking FDR's famous Forgotten Man speech from 1932 that promised to prioritize the needs of, quote, the man at the bottom of the economic pyramid, Trump declared, quote, The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. Politicians had prospered, he said, but jobs had evaporated. Factories closed. Quote, the establishment protected itself, but not the citizens of our country. Their victories have not been your victories. Their triumphs have not been your triumphs. And while they celebrated in our nation's capital, there was little chance to celebrate for struggling families all across our land. This all changes, starting right here and right now, Trump proclaimed because this moment is your moment. It belongs to you. This is your day. This is your celebration. End of quote. The moment, however, belonged not to the great mass of struggling Americans, but to the new president's most ardent supporters, flamboyant businessmen who profited off the pain of the housing bust and were now poised to steer the ship of state for at least the next four years. As Trump reached out his hand and swore to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States of America, his close friend and inaugural committee chair, Tom Barack, stood behind him, smiling in a blue scarf and black overcoat. Afterward, Barack and Trump embraced at the U.S. Capitol's inaugural platform. The homewreckers had arrived. Barack didn't take an official position in the Trump administration, reportedly turning down an offer to be White House Chief of Staff, Treasury Secretary, or Ambassador to Mexico. Roger Stone told me, He could have had any position he wanted, but working for the government would have meant making a lot less money. I don't think he has the belly for public service, Stone observed. Other home wreckers had no such qualms. If they changed the rules of the game now, they could make more money later. Steve Mnuchin, by now dubbed the foreclosure king by his critics, was confirmed as treasury secretary. His top deputy at One West, uh, the, the bank, Uh, Joseph Odding became the nation's chief bank regulator, the comptroller of the currency. Wilbur Ross, the bankruptcy tycoon who bought Florida's Bank United, became the commerce secretary, charged with everything from negotiating trade deals to overseeing the U.S. Census. Steve Schwartzman, the chairman of Blackstone, became chair of the White House's Strategic and Policy Forum, a group of business leaders who were to meet regularly with Trump. Jamie Dimon of JPMorgan Chase was named vice chair. On February 12, 2017, less than a month into Trump's presidency, while the commander-in-chief was dining with Prime Minister Shinzo Abe of Japan at his Mar-a-Lago golf club, Schwartzman threw a massive 70th birthday bash at his Four Winds Estate, barely a mile and a half away. This time, neither Donald nor Melania Trump could make it, but daughter Ivanka and son-in-law Jared Kushner did, along with Mnuchin, Ross, and a who's who of high finance and culture. Henry Kravis, co-founder of the hostile takeover firm, Kohlberg, Kravis, Roberts. The party featured live camels, trapeze artists, fireworks, and a gondolier. Schwarzman's tennis courts were covered with Asian-themed staging. The man who'd hired Patti LaBelle to sing Happy Birthday for his 60th was serenaded by Gwen Stefani on his 70th. After Happy Birthday, the peroxide pop star took a quick twirl with the birthday boy around a dance floor constructed inside a two-story tent where acrobats shimmied and jumped, the New York Times reported. Unlike a decade before, when Schwarzman's glorious pre-bust bash sparked condemnation from sources as conservative as the Wall Street Journal, this time the festivities sparked very little blowback. In her story, Bloomberg reporter Amanda Gordon, she wrote, Remember that beautiful fur coat on Melania Trump? It was New York in February on a weeknight. This time, no bundling required, with many folks golfing and swimming all day before a balmy night and fireworks alongside a full moon. Howard Marks, the co-chairman of Oak Tree Capital, a vulture firm that had bought and flipped 3,000 foreclosures, told Gordon, quote, the world is an uncertain place. A lot of people are unhappy with a lot of other people. There are a lot of things that people are upset about. So it's nice to have an evening where everybody's happy, harmonious and upbeat, end quote. There was a lot of celebrating to be had. In June, the gang got together for the marriage of Steve Mnuchin and his third wife, actress Louise Linton, almost two decades younger than him. Uh, and then it continues from there. The book is Home Homewreckers by Aaron Glantz.
1: And welcome back.
3: Tom Harbin, here with you. Jack in Baltimore. Hey, Jack, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up?
1: Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say I was uh, listening to the show and the lady mentioned the Magnitsky Act right uh, just and just i didn't have your, the details refer your, look, yeah refer your listeners to a great ted talk on, on youtube called how i became putin's worst enemy okay it's a 16-minute ted talk he did at ted berlin it's a great little talk It's 16 minutes uh you'll find it all about that uh and really who putin is and who his people are and what you know what happened in russia when the wall came down and what continues to happen today cool uh if you're on youtube also look at rick steve's fascism He's a travel guy, but he goes through Europe. I watched it. And Louise and I wonderful... watched it.
3: Yeah, it's a history of European yeah. fascism is the, is the full title. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Refer to the people uh, that issue. I'm just saying that uh, this is what you need to do. So I just want to let you know um, that's a great way to educate yourself on, on that issue.
3: I'm with you. Jack, thank you very much for the call. Alan in Stuart, Florida, listening to XM. Hey, Alan, what's up?
1: My only question is, why can't we organize like a 10-million-person march in Washington, D.C., shut the whole city down, shut Congress down, shut the Senate down until something changes? They do it in Hong Kong. Why can't we do it here? Uh, You know, it it is that one
3: great shocking moment. And tomorrow, in our first hour, I'm going to be talking about this as some considerable length. Everybody's waiting for that one great shocking moment that's going to bring it about. In the case of Hong Kong, it was when the government of Hong Kong was contemplating a law that would allow mainland China to basically reach into Hong Kong, grab dissidents, and transport them out of Hong Kong off to China for adjudication and imprisonment. And the people of Hong Kong said no. That was the point at which they freaked out. That great shocking moment as far as anybody can tell really never happened in germany or in italy or in spain back in the 30s didn't happen in turkey or in egypt or in the philippines or in hungary or in poland in the in the modern era and whether there will be one of those shocking moments in the united states i don't know i mean the, the election of trump was a shocking moment his inauguration brought out the you know the, the women's march but i think we're damn close and i i don't know how much more it's going to take we are certainly living in historic times just you know absolutely mind-boggling Vic in stockton california
1: first let me just say that whoever said elections have consequences could not have imagined how prophetic they would be yeah that was ronald reagan by the way <laughs> oh my god okay so is my question real quick given that california is the sixth largest economy in the world and to a large degree, we can pretty much sustain ourselves. How difficult would it be for California to secede from the Union, keep its social and environmental progressive policies intact, and become a model for the rest of America? And Tom, I'll we'll take your comments off the air. Thank you. I think, Vic,
3: that it is not outside the realm of possibilities. the sort of thing that I'd write a novel or a short story about, that if Trump gets reelected and if he starts flipping the rest of the United States into basically you know southern red state america you know doing away with medicare medicaid social security stripping protections stripping the rule of law ignoring the constitution continuing these things if that happens i suspect that you would see probably a compact between california Oregon, and washington state to say we're gonna go our own way and you probably see the same thing with a bunch of east northeastern states and maybe maybe even well, it's hard to say, but, but certainly the Northeast and, and the and the West Coast, which comprise probably more than half the population of the country. Vic, thanks for the call. It's a good question. I don't know the answer, but it's a good question. Sandy in Anglica, New York. Hey, Sandy, what's on your mind today?
7: Hey, Tom. Thank you so much for taking my call. Okay, I heard you say a, a while back that atonement is needed, and that is the truth, yes. because only the almighty creator can help us now
3: we well, have people we still have some people. agency surely we still have yes, the ability we to act. people
7: all people we need to repent worship and trust the almighty creator and i am so glad nancy pelosi is praying for trump yes i shout hallelujah to that
3: well i have prayed for trump I, I think that any, anybody who prays needs to be praying. You know, Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Um, we yeah, have we to. Pray, and I, you know, I,
7: I pray for everybody. Yeah. Because we need prayer, persistent prayer, truthful prayer. I agree. Because this world needs to come to the knowledge of who the Almighty Creator is.
3: I am with you, Shirley, and I think that's, that's very well said. Thank you very much. Joan in Port Orange, Florida. Hey, Joan, what's up?
7: Hey, Tom, thank you.
0: Thank you for being the voice of reason. You're welcome. Thank you for your calm. (laughs) What we have, and if we go back to the beginning, Trump was trying to be as ridiculous as he could to get Hillary elected. Something went terribly wrong. He's in there. He has done everything, including stupid little things to say, please get me out of here. Illegal stuff. And yes, he's got illegal stuff in his background, for sure. For him to point out, for all of us to be, have eyes wide open, impeachment did nothing. For us to say, oh, he's just Don. No, he is showing the American people. Your government, you think, has power? Nothing is farther than the truth. Yeah. Laws mean nothing, they say. And then you say, well, wait a minute. They're trying to tell us to wait until it's time to vote, that the voting would have power. His daughter's in China getting voting machines. How can you trust this?
3: Right. We you need to be can't. calling our senators right now, 202-224-3121. Uh, Call both of your senators and say, this is it. He's gone over the top you have to stop him especially call your republican senators tommy in alpine texas
4: oh, oh yeah hey look i'm, I'm just uh, curious about the strategy of the four prosecutors that resigned in protest for bill barr trying to get roger stone's sentence lowered right. i mean where's their where's their courage i don't i don't understand like how how dare they stand down well you know, the, remember, the other
3: as- shoe has not yet dropped judge amy berman jackson who Donald Trump was trash-talking on Twitter last night has the final say. The DOJ can come in and say, we, we recommend nine years, or they can come in and say, we recommend it a week. The judge gets to make the decision. And she's seriously pissed off at Roger Stone for the way he's been behaving. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if she throws the book at him. And that, I believe, is scheduled for February 20th. So, you know, this isn't over. It was the old Yogi berra It ain't over till it's over. Cherie in Boca Raton, Florida. Hey, Cherie, what's up?
0: Thank you for, to you and your staff that keeps this well-oiled machine of sanity moving for all of us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. I just want to say that first. I'm so frustrated with what's happened now with... William Barr and this whole situation in court yesterday, and I just I don't mean to sound obtuse, but is there is there some aside from voting in November, is there anything that we can? Can we appeal to the courts? Is there someone we could call? Is there a switchboard? Can we flood the switchboard? Is yes. So, to who? Yes. About this? this is the switchboard
3: for Congress. This gets you to the uh, U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, and you just say, "I would like to speak to my senator." And if you don't know who your senator is, to, uh, or you have two of them. Tell them that, you know you are in Florida. It's my, in your case, it's Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, or you can say, "I'd like to speak to my member of the House of Representatives." Again, if you don't know, you give me your zip code, and they'll say, "Oh, you are represented by Joe Blow." Okay. So the number is two zero two. 225 3121 30- Yeah exactly right and yes. okay. and you just call that number call it you know once and talk to Rick Scott and then hang up and then call it back and talk to Marco Rubio and then hang up uh-huh. and then call back and talk to your member of the House of Representatives and make one point Because the person answering the phone is probably going to be an intern or, you know, somebody real low on the totem pole. And basically, yeah, basically, they've got a spreadsheet there that says things like, you know, abortion and climate change and, and, you know, throw Trump out of office or whatever. And they just check a little box that says yes or no for every caller. So so you've got to make your point really quick, real respectful. Very simple. Mm -hmm. And thank them for taking your information. Don't try to debate them. Don't try to get in a fight with them. None of that will work. All it'll do is cause your comments to not even be recorded. And that's, as far as I know, Cherie, outside of calling into into talk radio shows and writing letters to the editor of the newspaper and talking to your friends and posting on Twitter and Facebook and other social media, all stuff that we all need to be doing, that's pretty much it. You know, oh, and call your local Democratic Party and say, how can I help?
0: Yes, yes. Okay. Thank you so much for this. I hope everybody was listening and writing down, too. Amen. Thank you so much,
3: Tom. Thanks, Cherie. Great to hear from you. And thanks for being with us today. Like I said, we're going to talk about how other countries have gone down this road and how we're going down this road, and I think you're gonna wanna listen and and share it with your friends. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you, so get out there, get active, tag your it, and tell your friends where to find progressive media. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit tomhartman.com.